Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I think we really got something in. What do we got? An idea. What idea? An idea for the show. I still don't know what the idea is. It's about nothing. Right. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. The Nightcap. They say, what's your show about? I say nothing. There you go. I think you may have something here. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Welcome in, everybody. It's the Nightcap right here on WGR Sports Radio 550. Not sure if you recognize this voice. I'll define myself as the less sneaky DiBiase. Louis DiBiase joining you here on the air with TJ Luckman on the board from 7 to 9 p.m. We're going to get your calls as well in at 803-0550. Got some uh, good football stuff to talk about today. It's a Football Friday edition of the show. Yesterday was the uh, very much anticipated Hall of Fame game between the Denver Broncos and the Atlanta Falcons. We'll get into some of the. We're not going to get into specifically the game itself unless you want more Drew Locke talk in your life. But there was the first challenge for pass interference, which is a new rule the NFL put in place this offseason. Of course, everybody knows what happened in the NFC Championship game between the Rams and and the Saints with former Buffalo Bills cornerback Mikel Roby Coleman and that blatantly obvious pass interference call that was not called. So, you know, we see the first challenge. You know, we've been talking about the philosophy of it so far this offseason, how refs will call it, how the process will be handled during the challenging. Will they, you know, if it's not clear and obvious, like the the ticky-tacky stuff, what if the play is not on the ball, if it's on the other side of the field? So we got a little bit of a taste for the first time of pass interference challenges yesterday in the Hall of Fame game. We got some Bills talk as well. It it really got me juiced up yesterday. Of course, it's the Hall of Fame game, but it's the first real action in the NFL, and you can just feel it in the air. It's coming up. The Bills play next Thursday against the Colts at New Era Field for their first preseason game, so I want to get into what you're watching for during the preseason for the Buffalo Bills. So again, call in. It's 803-0550. And also, your favorite NFL theme song. So I've been running these late-night discussions on Twitter the past couple months working the overnights on WBEN. And uh, again, yesterday, it wasn't more so about the Hall of Fame game. It's about everything that comes with it, just more of the football atmosphere that you are feeling with it. And I I thought, because the NBC theme song is playing the Sunday Night Football theme, so I thought between CBS, Fox, Sunday Night Football, I put Monday Night Football in there as well. I kind of left out Thursday Night Football. But what is your favorite game day theme song in the NFL? Call us up, 803-0550. You can also hit us up on Twitter, at WGR550. As you heard Kyle Powell say on the updates, we got blue and red practice going on for the Bills right now at New Era Field. No LaShawn McCoy. No John Brown, so a couple of Josh Allen's biggest pieces on offense this year, although some people wouldn't say that about McCoy anymore. I'm going to get into some McCoy talk later on in the show as well, but probably Josh Allen's best deep threat will not be on the field right now. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at WGR550 for updates. Also, follow Sal Capaccio, who's down at the field, for updates at 
Sal Sports. So we got a jam-packed show today. We'll get into some of Brandon Bean's conversation. He was on WGR earlier today. And also Chris Chaprasso, he is a CBS NFL analyst, also a big NFL draft guy. So we're going to play back some sound from earlier on today on WGR. But what I have for you in this first segment is I'm going to get into the Hall of Fame game. But first, I don't know if anybody saw this. TJ, I'm not sure if you saw this. But Bleacher Report, they have, look, I love Game of Zones. I'm a big NBA guy. They put out the absolute worst list I've ever seen. And they've, they've done some weird stuff. You know, after the U.S. women's soccer team won the World Cup, they put up that abysmal, you know, collage of the team with, like, the Avengers in it and these actors. It was just, it's a weird thing. And I'm sorry, actually, this is Yahoo Sports. Bleacher Report, so Yahoo Sports is kind of, kind of emulating Bleacher Report. They put up a most tortured NFL fan base list. And I could not disagree more with the majority of their top 10. And uh, TJ, I'm not sure if you saw on Yahoo Sports. This Bring is, it up now. It is the worst list I've ever seen. I mean, you could not have botched, botched this more. Number one is the New York Giants, which, first of all, the New York Giants have won two Super Bowls in the past 12 years, both against probably the greatest dynasty of all time in the New England Patriots when it comes to the NFL and just the most dominant combo in all of sports Tom Brady and Bill Belichick so yes they are tortured now with Daniel Jones and David Gettleman it is a tough situation for the Giants now but a team that has won two championships in our lifetime that we can vividly remember I'm sorry the fact that they're number one is just preposterous to me the New York Jets even the Jets they've they played and I know Mark Sanchez was the quarterback and you know they've gone through some tough times but the Jets went to back-to-back AFC championship games again in the past decade Washington's at three. Washington, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, they've, they've won three Super Bowls, but lately, you know, Dan Snyder is the exact example for why I think sometimes you could argue you should be able to fire owners because he has turned that. Look, I like what they did in the draft this year, but Washington is one of the biggest tire fires in the NFL this year. Ironically, two of them are in the NFC East, but those two in the top three with the Jets at two, I mean, even Atlanta at four. I, look, I would be tortured as a Falcons fan after that Super Bowl loss to the, to the Patriots. I don't know if I would ever get over it. How are the Packers on this list at The Packers nine? are at nine. They went from Brett Favre. And also, how are the Bills not <laughs> the, cracking the top ten the, at all? The Bills that, aren't I, on I, this? I assume that's where you're getting on this, yes. but oh my goodness. The Bills aren't on it. No Cleveland Browns. No Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals have been around since like 1920. I know they were the Chicago Cardinals, they were the St. Louis Cardinals, they have bounced around. They're the oldest franchise, though, in NFL history, really in football history, and they've been to one Super Bowl with Kurt Warner and Larry Fitzgerald for the majority of the Cardinals' 100-year history. By the way, it's the NFL's 100th season this year, and the Cardinals have been in all of it. They have had one Super Bowl appearance, and how many other times have they been a relevant franchise? The Bills, the Browns, the Cardinals, they're not on this list. And yet you got teams winning Super Bowls like the Giants on here. The Atlanta Falcons were in a Super Bowl literally three years ago. The, the Green Bay Packers, TJ, you mentioned, they went from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers. I mean, that's... <laughs> I'm, I'm seeing the 49ers on here, too. Yeah, the and 49ers. I'm like, they have six Super not, Bowls. Not too far removed from, from those times. Six years ago, they were a juggernaut right. with Jim Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick and that incredible defense with Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman and the Smiths on the defensive line. I mean, you couldn't have made a worse list here. The Packers literally went from one Hall of Fame quarterback to another. Minnesota has had a pretty tough history. They're ranked at eight, but even Minnesota has been 
one of the best constructed rosters. I mean, I'd be tortured now if Kirk Cousins was my quarterback, but they have had one of the worst constructed rosters, one of the best constructed rosters in the past, you know, seven years, I would say. They've had some incredible drafts. So the only ones that I really think are valid on this list, at five, the Detroit Lions. That's a good one. They've never made a Super Bowl. Outside of Matt Stafford, how many relevant quarterbacks have they had in their history? It really is tough for Detroit, too, because they've had two of the best players at their position of all time. They've had Barry Sanders at running back, one of the greatest to ever do it in the backfield. They've had Calvin Johnson, who I think outside of Jerry Rice, you could argue is number two, maybe Randy Moss. If, if you let Calvin stay in the league, if, if Calvin right. wanted to stay in the league, he would have ended up being the best. Uh, he would have come close. He nearly had 2,000 sure. receiving yes. yards in 2013. You had two of the best. So I, I agree with Detroit here being number, being number five because you've had two of the greatest of all time at their position, and you did nothing with it. The Calvin Johnson era and the Matt Stafford era, that combo, made the playoffs twice. Now, granted, they should have beat the Cowboys in that terrible wild-card finish that the pass interference call got picked up on Brandon Pettigrew. The Lions, they've suffered. Okay, I get that for sure. The Cincinnati Bengals at six. Absolutely. When you have ownership like that that literally turns down – Anything that includes having to spend money and you consistently, even when you made the playoffs, you could not get past the first round and they still managed to keep Marvin Lewis around the building for, what, a decade and a half? He was the longest tenured head coach and they finally got rid of him last year. But the Bengals at six, the Lions at five, outside of that, I really don't accept any of this list. And then the Raiders rounded out in the top 10 here at 10. The Raiders have had, a, have had a pretty tough go of it lately, too, but I, the fact that the Buffalo Bills went 17 years without making the postseason, you literally – there was a whole generation of fans that went through no playoff experience for the first 17 years of their life. You know, a lot of kids born – I was born in 97, so it doesn't even count for me. There's people born in the 2000s that never witnessed the Bills making the playoffs until 2017. How they are not on this list – no idea how the Cleveland Browns are not on this list no idea the Arizona Cardinals three teams it's just man when you put the Packers on there TJ that's the one that got me for sure I mean you can't go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers and call that fan base tortured especially (laughs) especially you have that and especially since they've won a Super Bowl in the last five years like 2010 was not that long ago 2010 oh man I I can't tell time anymore feels like I cannot believe it's been nine years ten years right already because Aaron Rodgers is still just as good as he was in 2010 that he is now so it probably I mean maybe better more experience and all that his body might try to uh, you know might go away soon but I expect a big bounce back though, sure. this year. I mean, they have Alex especially Jones. without McCarthy. Yeah, they have Aaron Jones in the backfield. Yeah, no more McCarthy. They brought in Lafleur over from Tennessee. He's a, another one of those Sean McVay guys. They have one of the best receivers in the league in Devontae Adams. I mean, Green Bay is not tortured. They were in the NFC Championship game three years ago, and then they suffered. Yeah, they suffered injuries with Rodgers again. They had to deal with watching Brett Hundley and Deshaun Kaiser for one year. But I don't want to hear that when the Bills had to watch Trent Edwards, J.P. Lossman, Kelly Holcomb, Brian Brom. I mean, how, how long do you want me to go here? Tyler Thigpen, Jeff Toole, Thad Lewis. I mean, get out of here. <laughs> this list is preposterous. And uh, I'm sorry, Bleacher Report. I thought that was the list because BR has kind of been all over the place lately. But it was Yahoo Sports, so you can go check that out. The list is just, I couldn't disagree with it more. So, again, we're going to take your calls at 803-0550. Another thing I want to get into before we take a break, some Hall of Fame game takeaways. Now, the game itself after the first, like, 10 minutes. What, what was great about the Hall of Fame game is this. 
the first 10 minutes, you get to see it on the cable, on the list, you see NFL football, and you're like, let's go. It's time. We're here. The season is finally among us. You hear the theme song, you get the juices flowing, you get that nostalgic feeling every single year. I mean, growing up, hearing those theme songs and getting that excitement, that kind of that nervous excitement, though, especially when your team is playing on primetime. The Bills haven't played a lot on Sunday Night Football, but you hear that theme and you get excited. And the, the Chris Collinsworth chair slide into the camera view, you hear Al Michaels' famous voice. And there's all of that that kind of comes back to you. And it's more so the excitement factor of just having some sort of NFL football back. And again, it just shows you how NFL really has their fans gripped, that they will watch a Hall of Fame game that is actually rated higher than the majority of NBA regular season games last year. I mean, the NFL has us. They have us gripped. And, you know, so that's the, that's the excitement part. That's the exciting part of it for sure. Then once the gameplay starts, the love for me is absolutely gone. I don't know how excited all of you out there were to watch Kevin Hogan yesterday. And Matt Schwab, Matt Schaub, by the way, has, is still in the NFL. I mean, I love what Bulldog said, that he thought it was his son. That was my favorite <laughs> part of the entire game. I didn't watch the game, but my favorite part of the entire game was logging onto Twitter and everybody going, wait, Matt Schaub is still in the league? It's, it's hilarious. When, when did he sign? <laughs> it's incredible. He went. He was a career backup in Atlanta before he went to Houston with Michael Vick as the starter. And then he has those, you know, he was, he was a pretty solid quarterback for a while in Houston with Andre Johnson. It's going to say, yeah, yeah Andre Kubiak. Johnson was awesome. Yeah, that, that trio of Kubiak, you know, Schaub, and then, of course, they had Arian Foster. I mean, they had a good team for a while. They were winning some playoff games, and then, of course, he became Mr. Pick 6, and he goes back to Atlanta, and I just, I completely forgot he was in the league, though. He's been in the league for 16 years now. I mean, it's, it's so, it was kind of fun, the, the shock value of seeing Matt Schaub on the field again yesterday, but... Outside of that, I didn't – I mean, it's – look, it's not even – it's the preseason of the preseason. Like, we get – I'm that, – that made me want – was it made me long for real preseason games even more because it's the fifth game. We didn't even see Joe Flacco out there, Mr. Elite himself. We didn't see Matt Ryan or Julio Jones, Devonta Freeman. So we didn't really get any of the big names. Drew Locke was sloppy for sure. I, I like watching the rookies for sure in the, uh, in the preseason. The Broncos' second-round quarterback out of Missouri – I really do wonder, TJ, how long John Elway will get. How long after you win? How long does winning a Super Bowl buy you if you continue to bomb the most important position in sports? I mean, look, he yeah he got Peyton Manning there. If John Elway was not a part of the Denver Broncos, Peyton Manning probably goes to San Francisco. He probably goes to Arizona. One of those other teams he was meeting with. John Elway pulled him in. They won a Super Bowl, even though it was on Peyton's last legs. But it's been three years now. He drafted Paxton Lynch in the first round. And look, I'll raise my hand here. I liked Paxton Lynch. It's one of my worst sports takes of all time. I thought he would be just as good as the other guys in the class, i.e. Jared Goff, Carson Wentz. It's a bad take for sure. I'll stand by it. But when you draft a guy like Paxton Lynch, you, you wanted to pay, by the way, a huge amount of money to Brock Osweiler. So, I mean, Osweiler went to Houston basically because he felt gypped when they put Peyton Manning back in for the Super Bowl. You wanted Osweiler. You wanted Paxton Lynch. You started Trevor Simeon. You went with Case Keenum. Now, if Drew Locke doesn't pan out, and again, it's only one game, we cannot rule anything. Locke is a raw player for sure. He's going to have some work on the bench this year to develop behind Joe Flacco. I just wonder how many years you get after winning a Super Bowl if there's no result coming. Even if you've built the roster pretty strong around that position, if you continue to bomb it, like, and he's a legend in Denver too, that's what's going to buy him some time, but I mean, how many years do you give him? I would say if Locke is really bad and they're once again 6-10, and 8-8 range... 
I would, I don't know. I, th- I think a, unless a situation similar to what happened with Manning happens, uh, like with Tom mm. Brady in New England or yeah. something, and they he can just get the he final years. He finds a way to get of, another veteran right, quarterback. Right, right, right. That seems to be the, the Elway calling card of uh, not only was he able to do it late in his career, but he's able to find that, that twilight of his career quarterback to win his team Is there Super anybody coming again. up that, that could be a possibility? I mean, Brady maybe. Just, yeah, Brady. Brady's, never, Brady's the one I think of if because Garoppolo like was still there, obvious comparison. Yeah, if Garoppolo was still there, I could see it. Uh, maybe Rodgers, but Green Bay just signed him to that massive extension. Yeah, you're right though. Maybe he can just find a way to grab onto another. Maybe he thinks that's Flacco. Right, and I was I was going to bring that up, but I don't. If man, if if you were hoping for that same Manning effect from Joe Flacco, I was going to say I that's not coming. Terrible news for you. Now, to be fair to Elway, he might still be a little shell shocked from when Flacco just. Threw a prayer to Jacoby, Jacoby Jones, Jones and ended up oh winning gosh. the Super Bowl because of that. Double overtime. What? Yeah, I mean, maybe he's hoping he can find that 2012 magic in Joe Flacco that threw for 12 touchdowns and no interceptions. But that might be the most common. the the greatest like stretch of games oh, it's anybody insane. will ever play when it matters. And like Joe Flacco for his career, just underachieving, and then all of a sudden in that that playoff. Uh, it's crazy. To see the those one, guys. the one year, it's yeah. not Roethlisberger, Manning, or Brady, and Flacco's just like, hey, I can do it too. And elite jokes start. Oh man, they paid him all that money. Yeah, and then look, well, he, you can't win a Super Bowl and just say, well, yeah, see ya. It would take a lot of stones for sure. I mean, that that's happened. It's kind of funny how some of these quarterbacks just decide to go off in the playoffs. That and after that, they really aren't that relevant. You know, Joe Flacco, even in the playoffs, the Tebow mania was just the craziest thing I've ever seen in the NFL. Nick Foles did it with Philadelphia in 2017 and in 2018, but I still think like Nick Foles is probably a, an average quarterback in the NFL. But, yeah, I don't know if Elway's thinking it's going to be Joe Flacco. I mean, he's ho- of course, you're probably holding out hope it's Drew Locke. You don't spend a second-round pick and not see that through unless you're the Jets and you saw Christian Hackenberg, which I guess they realize their mistake pretty early, but... Yeah, I just I wonder how many years that that's what got me thinking yesterday watching Drew Locke. And look, Locke, it's not over at all. He does have some tools that he can work with. I could see why John Elway was enamored with him, really going all the way back to the senior bowl. But I, I just do wonder. It's been what, three years now? It's been three seasons, right? Because yeah, the Patriots won, the Eagles won, and the Patriots again. So it's been three seasons since you beat the Panthers in the Super Bowl. You haven't gotten that position right. You were that position. You're a legend in Denver. It's a very interesting dynamic for sure. And I do think, though, it's it, it does come down to Drew Locke. I don't know if he's going to get a fourth opportunity. When you bomb, when even though you didn't sign Brock Osweiler, when your intention was to extend him and he bombs out in the NFL, when you draft Paxton Lynch in the first round and he didn't have a chance from the start, he instantly, you could tell, just did not have it in him. You know, coming from Memphis – Drew Locke, this is your third opportunity. For me, third time's the charm, and it's also three strikes you're out. If you miss here on Drew Locke, that might be it for John Elway in Denver. Would I be surprised if they hang on to him? No, because championships make you do crazy things like paying Joe Flacco elite money. 803-0550 is the number. This is Louis DiBiase in for my brother Joe DiBiase, a.k.a. Sneaky Joe. I'm not as sneaky, but I do appreciate you guys tuning in as my first time hosting here on WGR. We will get to your calls later on. I got some Bills talk to get into. We will hear from Brandon Bean. We will hear from Chris Prasso of CBS. Football Jams Friday right here on WGR.
Louis DiBiase here. This is the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. I am in for my brother Joe DiBiase, a.k.a. Sneaky Joe. He will be back on Monday for the Nightcap. And then, look, we are rolling from there. We have the Hall of Fame game last night. And then, look, preseason starts on Thursday. We got 11 games on the slate. We got games on Friday and Saturday. And I know it's just preseason, but... Man, I'm just so glad football is back. Fantasy football, too. We got the fan. I'm sure your fantasy drafts are in August. If you did it earlier, if you're a June or July draft, you're insane for me, at least. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times in our league. I'm, I'm in one league. I refuse to be in more than one fantasy league, a diehard one we've been in for like 10 years now. I can't tell, t- tell you how many times in a, a team has had like a Jordy Nelson and they tear, tear their ACL in week two or week three. And that's your first round pick. So hopefully you guys scheduled your drafts later on. But I mean, we got fantasy football, and I just think, uh, look, it's it's that time. Football is in the air. I want to get to your calls too later on. Eight zero three zero five fifty. Hit me up also on Twitter at wgr five fifty. We're talking Hall of Fame game, the challenge rule specifically on pass interference. What is your favorite NFL game day theme song? And then we also got some Bills preseason talk to get into. So we hit on the Hall of Fame game a little bit before the break. I want to get back into that. Not really the game itself now, but the new pass interference rule that you can now coaches can now challenge that penalty or non-penalty was implemented for the first time yesterday between the Broncos and the Falcons. And the Broncos tried to overturn a PI call that was thrown But the rule seemingly has established a guideline of, quote, clear and obvious evidence. That is how the NFL has described this new rule. It's got to be clear. It's got to be obvious that there was either clear contact made, you know, that the, the, like the Roby Coleman hit against the Saints last year. That is clear. That is obvious. That is a pass interference call. If you do not throw that flag, for me, I do like the ability to challenge an obvious one like that. I agreed yesterday with sticking to the call on the field. I don't think it was obvious enough. I don't want the ticky-tacky plays being called every single time. Pass interference is such a debatable thing. Look, just refereeing topics in general, until they go with my brother's idea of robotic referees, it is never going to be an exact science. There's always going to be human error in it, even with challenges, especially with like pass interference. You could have argued either way yesterday with that call. I like the mentality of clear and obvious. I just hope that they stick with that. I hope they stick with that mentality and that it's not the catch rule all over again. It's not the helmet to helmet thing where we are debating week after week and it's deciding games every week and it's a, it's just an exhausting exercise. I know some people like to debate it, get into the the refereeing kind of stuff. For me, I find it exhausting because there's never it's always going to be up for debate. There's never going to be an exact answer. It's never black or white with that. And but yesterday we did see it on the field for the first time. I agreed with them sticking to the call because again, I don't want ticky-tacky plays being called all over the place. I think coaches are going to try to take advantage of it now. I think receivers could game plan and try to draw them, almost like James Harden does in the NBA at the three-point line where he's stepping back, and when he takes that three-point shot, he kind of you know, ducks his body forward. He sticks out his legs and his arms to kind of show or force contact to get him to the foul line. I feel like that could be what happens in the NFL where there could be flops now and you're trying to almost get into a cornerback. So I like the way the referees handled it yesterday. I like the way they called it. 
And, you know, you look at the Super Bowl last year. You look at that play in the end zone between Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. There was some contact there. But for me, I like the idea of late in a game, if it's not clear and obvious, you let the guys play a little bit. You do swallow your whistle and not have the referees be the reason a team either is going home or they're winning the Super Bowl. I mean, if it's, again, if they're the reason because they messed up so bad about the Roby Coleman play, then for sure. Then I like the idea of somebody being able to overturn that. Or if it was obvious there was no pass interference, that you can overturn that. I just don't like that it's up to the coaches now. I feel like that should be something the booth can still review. You know, you go up to the instant replay headquarters. Because the coaches now are going to game plan for this. Coaches don't care about the pace of the game, the flow of the game, the entertainment value for you. They don't care about that. They care about production because you see the shelf life of NFL coaches. So having another rule that they can take to their advantage, which they're going to, is going to be really frustrating if the referees do not stick to this clear and obvious evidence. Of course, this rule is only in place for 2019, but I thought it was a good first step yesterday. I don't want it to be something that is constantly a talking point throughout the 2019 NFL season. But at the same time, I do like that there is something in place that if the referees just totally mess it up, then you can call it. And I like the way they did that. It's got to be really totally messed up. Quote, clear and obvious evidence. It's got to be that or else don't call it. And also, if there's a play on the right side of the field, if Josh Allen throws a 60-yard bomb to John Brown, and he, and he brings it down. But on the other side of the field, Robert Foster or Zay Jones or Cole Beasley maybe makes a little bit of contact. Can you challenge that? I believe you can. I think you can call, you can challenge pass interference all over the field, even if it's not on the action of the play. If it's on the opposite, of where, the opposite field side of where the ball is, you can still probably challenge that. I don't know the exact details if that's the case, but I'm almost positive. The, if the ball... So if, if, you Josh, can probably, you can, if there's a completion on the right side, but there's contact by a receiver on the left that did not get the ball thrown to him, but he makes a little contact, can you challenge that? Wouldn't that just be... I mean, at that point it would just be contact, but isn't pass interference only if the pass is thrown toward the receiver? Like, if it's an uncatchable ball, they won't catch it, even if there is contact. Hmm. I think that's still the element in play there. So you're even if, right. Even if it I is. Hope, so, I hope you're right. Yeah, because if it's on the other side and he threw, threw it to the other ball, it would be like holding or something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's pass interference if there's no pass you can interfere with. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll research a good, a it a little point, bit more, sure. but I'm almost positive no, that's you, the you, interpretation you bring of the up rule. A good, uh, you bring up a good point, and... Look, too, I don't know if this is going to open a whole can of worms, though. I don't know if this is going to open Pandora's box with, you know, challenging penalties. I I think it is a good idea that you can challenge penalties, but if the pass interference thing is a success this year and that opens up to being able to make other calls, make challenges on other calls or non-calls, that could open it up to where if TJ's right and it is just, you know, you can only challenge it where the ball is going. If this is, is a success, though, maybe then they start opening up to where you can start challenging holding, right? Offensive and defensive on the offensive line. I don't know. We'll see how this works out this year. I hope it's not a stressful talking point, though, the entire year. I think ultimately the way it's going to work out is it'll end up being like an elongated timeout that teams will use. They'll throw it out there knowing that they'll at least have time to catch their breath or something. That's what I'm saying, and I don't 
And like, yeah, coaches I, are going to use it. I think that's right. I think that's going to be the you're most right. the the biggest application of it is trying to waste time, and that's why I hate it. Yeah, it's frustrating because you know Sean McDermott's going to do that. You sure. know, other NFL coaches are going to take it to their advantage because once again, they don't care how long you're sitting on the couch watching the game if they win the football game. If it adds another thirty minutes on, and we're talking about this for twenty minutes, and you continue to see angle the same three angles over and over again, and you're debating it, they don't they don't care. I just for me. I like I like the concept. I'm very interested to see how they put it in action. Yesterday, I was pretty encouraged, though. I, I thought that uh, it, it was a good first step. It's just, man, I, as an NFL fan growing up and the, what is a catch rule and the helmet-to-helmet kind of stuff, when referees are impacting the game significantly and we got to debate that every single week, it is an exhausting exercise. We're going to get to your calls, 803-0550. Got some Bills talk coming up next. The blue and red practice right now is happening at New Era Field for the Buffalo Bills. LaShawn McCoy is not practicing. No John Brown. For more updates, make sure you follow us on Twitter at WGR550 and also our Sal Capaccio for updates at Sales Sports. I'm Lou DiBiase in for Joe DiBiase on the nightcap with TJ Luckman on the board. This is WGR. It's the nightcap. Louis DiBiase joining you here on Sports Radio 550 WGR. So we're going to get into now Bulldogs spoke with NFL and NFL draft analyst Chris Trapasso of CBS. Again, NFL football is right here, everybody. Hall of Fame game yesterday. The Bills take on the Colts next Thursday. They're down at New Era Field right now for the blue and red practice. Again, for updates, follow us on Twitter at WGR550 and Sal Capaccio at Sal Sports. All right, let's get into it now. Without further ado, Bulldog talked with NFL analyst for CBS, Chris Trapasso, right here on WGR. Taking his slot here is Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports. It's nice to meet you. You too, Chris. It's been way too long. This is like a long time coming. I know. It's it's cool to be doing it here in the broadcast booth at New Era Field. Right. Are you, I mean, you you cover the sport. You're you're, you're one of our go-to draft guys and just NFL guys. Do you still get sort of jazzed pulling up to a stadium, sort of feeling like you're going to work? Yes, Because I still do. I haven't made that point today once, but... That is, it's always a highlight to me. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of feel that even going to training camp, but but the allure of coming here for this night practice, whether they fully scrimmage or they just toss the ball around and it's lighter, driving up to the stadium every year since I was a kid like feels the exact same. It's a different thing for being a fan and covering it and trying yeah, yeah. to be as objective as possible, but you still get juiced up when you kind of pull up. So um, what, what, do you, what do you think? Two, 2009, broad, broadly. Like, what kind of season can 2019 be for the Bills? I think the Bills are a playoff team this year. This is the best top-to-bottom and top-heavy roster that they've had since 2014, that Kyle Orton mm-hmm. um, uh, year where they went 9-7. and seven. Um, They didn't make the playoffs. I think that was Doug Marone's second yes. to last year. Um, really good defense with Jim Schwartz, Mario Williams. This team – maybe doesn't have that those elite talents that that group had with Marcel Darius and Kyle Williams, but the defense has gotten deeper during Sean McDermott's tenure. Um, I'm a little skeptical of Josh Allen, but I like what they did on the offensive side, especially up front, that Josh Allen is a quarterback that you can't have him under pressure repeatedly, and he was one of the highest-pressured quarterbacks in football last year. To bring in six free agent offensive linemen, to trade up for Cody Ford in the second round, I like that. Um, so the offense, I think, will do a little bit more of its part that they really didn't do 
even over the last, you know, six or seven games this year when the defense was playing lights out. Yeah, I mean, for, for the credit that Allen gets for the way he performed after his return from injury, it was still it was a lot of running more so than it was big passing. It had a, it had a big passing game in the finale against Miami, um, but it was still pretty, I'd say pretty uneven. Um, but, you know, the reasons for optimism, I, I mean, I get them. The, the additions that have been made are considerable. Uh, of the skill positions, um, do you like John, the John Brown idea? Do you like Cole Beasley? Do you think Robert Foster still could be their number one wideout? Like, how do you see the 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 skills the skills positions shaking out? What I really like about it is that with Robert Foster being that four four one guy, and we certainly saw him get down the field a lot, especially after Josh Allen came back from injury last year. He's not the only speed specialist on the team, and with Josh Allen's arm and you know, everything out of camp in the first week has been, you know, that he's been trying to check it down more. He's been more comfortable staying in the pocket, more accurate. Josh Allen needs to be a vertical-based quarterback and did not just have that one guy where they can roll a safety to that side. To add John Brown, a 4-3-4 guy that, that is established in this league, mm-hmm. that even last year when he didn't have a huge season but he averaged over 17 yards a catch, to have both of those guys on the outside – Beyond just hitting the big plays themselves, I think for Cole Beasley, for someone like Jason Kroom, for the running backs, if T.J. Yeldon makes the team, you know, he's a good pass-catching back. I think just not only having that one singular downfield threat, to me, gives so much more of an element of, you know, being really multifaceted for this offense. I think it will be really interesting. I've made this point and may, may have even made it with you uh, since uh, free agency came and went. Um, the Beasley signing is really an interesting one for me because Allen is, you know, we know what his strength is. It's the arm, and it's going to be making big plays. I wonder if the Bills have some designs on turning him into more of a just get it, a, just get the first down, just keep the drive alive type quarterback, and whether that's a good idea for him or not. I think he is mostly more of a possession receiver from the slot, but the whole idea that, that he's a small target and doesn't really fit with Josh Allen, from what I just said, Having those two speedsters on the outside that every single time that they're on the field, and they're probably going to be on the field a lot together, defenses have to take that safety out of the box. There's just going to be a lot more room, not only for Cole Beasley to separate, but Josh Allen isn't going to have to throw it through as many tight windows to Cole Beasley. So I think if teams could kind of squish up on the Bills offense like they've been able to with Josh Allen last year because he wasn't accurate at that level. To have John Brown, to have Robert Foster stretching the field on both sides, I think will be huge for this offense. I think just as you walked in, I was talking about John Brown. We had a clip of Tredavious White talking about Brown and, and his elusiveness, like what he does well. And I, I was saying when they signed him, I, I felt like I, I knew what I was getting. And that was just, all right, just chuck it up. I'm going to go down there and get it. And through however many practices we're through here, seven, eight, nine practices of training camp, it seems like one of the themes here is that John Brown is a more well-rounded receiver than a lot of us thought going in. Um, do you concur with that, or do you think he will, once the games begin, sort of revert to what he's been in the No, league? yeah, I think he can be someone that, that isn't just catching you know two passes a game for 60 yards. Do I think that'll be more of his specialty? Yes, and, and I think... The reason why he was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals in 2014, Bruce Arians is a vertical philosophy head coach. And right away as a rookie, he was making big play after big play down the field. Like I said, last year, 17 yards per catch in Baltimore. So I think that's like 
four or five catches, 80, 90 yards. That's more of, of what we'll see from him. And what is interesting to me is that after Brandon Bean spent so much time in Carolina with uh, Dave Gettleman, they prioritized Calvin Benjamin, Devin Funches, the big power forwards, minimal yards after the catch. With Beasley and John Brown, who, who is you know pretty elusive, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And that's been missing from this Bills offense. Yeah, well, that, that started really uh, – it seems reasonable to make like a line of demarcation, Allen's injury and then his return from injury. That's when we saw Foster emerge. Not that he's little, um, but he emerged. And Isaiah McKenzie suddenly was somebody who was like, who's this guy on the jet sweep? Who, what? Yeah. Um, and I think they changed from big target catch radius to just get guys who are, can get open because that might mitigate some of Allen's accuracy issues. If a guy's that open – Get it close, you yeah. know, right? And even so, if you're not able to thread the needle on a third and six between coverage, you can throw it two or three yards short and get those extra yards. That's kind of where the league has been going for a long time. I mean, Bills fans have watched the Patriots just, just you know, death by a thousand paper cuts up and down the field, whether it be to running backs, to Edelman, to Welker back in the day. So the league is a yards after the catch league, and I think the Bills are kind of moving in that direction, which is smart. Talking with Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, we are – at New Era Field, I'm the Bulldog. Mike has the day off today. Sal's been with me most of the afternoon, but he's headed downstairs to catch Sean McDermott's uh, pre-practice news conference. That's why we're here. There's a uh, free practice beginning about 6.15 here at New Era Field. You do, however, need a ticket if you want to attend. How about the backfield? Devin Singletary has opened some eyes, I think, here through the first couple of weeks of training camp. We all know who Frank Gore is. He's going to the Hall of Fame. And, of course, LaShawn McCoy is still here. You mentioned T.J. Yeldon. It has looked to me really, I think, Yeldon and or Singletary being drafted in the third round. Maybe the combination of those two things was the real tipping point to me that indicated that the Bills at least are acting like a team that might be interested, if it falls right, in moving LaShawn McCoy. What, what, what do you think the likelihood of that is? It might hinge on how ready Singletary is to play and, and how much. Yeah, to your latter point there, I think that'll be huge. I think if, if, if Devin Singletary comes out in this preseason and, and looks like someone that's ready to be a starter, I think that could push the Bills in that direction. The only problem with trading him at this point, he averaged 3.2 yards per carry last year. He's older. He's older than 30. That That's kind of the line that the teams don't want to see. So if you're getting a sixth or a seventh rounder, I, I think at last year's trade deadline would have been the time to yeah. do it, and I thought they were going to do it. I was waiting, refreshing Twitter, <laughs> ready to see that Ian Rappaport of the Adam Schefter tweet. To get a fifth, sixth, seventh rounder at this point. Is it really worth it? Is it worth it when you just reinvested in your offensive line, when you have – a rookie that you like, but you maybe don't want to have him shoulder the entire load. And then you have Frank Gore, who's been incredibly durable and a great running back, but he is old. So I think LaShawn McCoy is on his last season with the Bills, but I don't see any reason just based on what they could get back from him yeah. um, in a trade. Here, here's one thing to consider that I, I've been mentioning here for the last week or so, is that if you have guys like Gore and McCoy, two of them on your team, and Singletary flashes, so you want to find a way to work Singletary in. Obviously, there's on, only so many touches to go around. And do you want, as an organization, LaShawn McCoy around if he's losing touches? Like, I, I think he's been a good teammate, and he's been a good player for the Bills, but I also think he is very cognizant of his career and his totals and what he wants to accomplish. 
And I think if you start taking away his food, I don't know that you've got a happy guy on your hands. You might want to do something just to avoid that. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly plays a factor because he's never been that, you know, backup or that number two since his, like, rookie season in Philadelphia. And and he does seem like a highly competitive guy to be a back well over uh, 10,000 yards at this point. He's used his social media, you know, that, that he's after that 12,000-yard mark. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that could maybe push them in the direction of trading Shady McCoy. But, again, to get a sixth or a seventh-round pick at this point would just seem to not make sense. But – Everything – I mean, Sammy Watkins, a few years ago, we didn't think the Bills were going to trade him at all, play in, you know, one quarter of a preseason game, and then he shipped out. So if Devin Singletary, who was my number one running back in this right. past draft class, if he plays as well as I think he can, I think they could maybe start to look around and say, hey, can we maybe get a fifth rounder for LaShawn McCoy? Uh-huh. Just, is there a team like the Buccaneers or the Houston Texans that really just needs a running back and wants a marquee player? But I still think it's it's pretty unlikely that it happens. Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports, here alongside me. I am the Bulldog. This is WGR. On the defensive side of the ball, we covered some of it. Um, how about Tremaine Edmonds? Let's start there. You're talking about a, a, a freakishly talented athlete playing middle linebacker. Um, what did you think of his year last year, and what sort of progress should we be looking at? Are we looking at a star? Yeah, I think we're looking at a, a – ultimately a superstar I think playing with Sean McDermott who was with Luke Keekley in Carolina obviously he knows what what he wants at that linebacker spot he's a freakish athlete and his his season last year started slow he was only 20 years old as a rookie that was kind of well documented not great at diagnosing plays all the play action all the misdirection that he was seeing in the NFL that he maybe wasn't seeing in the AF or in the ACC um, not the best at getting off blocks right away, but then down the stretch in coverage, which is the most important thing for linebackers today, obviously, was recognizing routes, was able to get, you know, sink in his zone, find where wide receivers were in that last game of the season, had the interception. Um, he got better, and you always hear coaches say, playing faster. There was less hesitation. He would see plays develop in front of him, watch, you know, pulling guards and know where to go. Still only 21 years old. And with his tackle radius, we always talk about catch radius. <laughs> it's almost 6'5 with super long arms and 4'5'4 and four, four speed. He's like a big tight end out there, a really, really athletic tight end. So I think he's someone that under Sean McDermott's tutelage is going to ultimately be one of the best young linebackers in the league. Hang on, I, excuse me. For, I, I make a note to myself to expect people to call next week suggesting the Bills move Tremaine Edmonds to tight end <laughs> because that draft guy was on Friday and said maybe we should do it. Um, <laughs> I, I just compared him to a tight end. You didn't yeah. say they should do it. But I'm making it worse. Um, how about Tredavious White? How, how good a player – is he going into year three, and have we seen his ceiling yet? I don't think we've seen his ceiling. To me, he's a top half, maybe top 16 or so cornerback in the league already. Um, and it's strange. I just said it about Devin Singletary, and this is what's so good about doing pre-draft evaluations, that there's no hindsight involved. In that 27 draft class, he was my number one cornerback because he could play man, he could play zone, he was good down the field, he tested pretty well at the combine, ran fast enough, and this seems simple, but he just got hot. He just got his hands on a lot of footballs. He broke up a lot of passes. Yeah. He had a lot of interceptions. Started at LSU as an 18-year-old freshman and, and was productive. So anytime he stepped on the football field, he's been productive. And if the Bills do want to run some man on one side of the field and run zone on the other, they don't have to worry about him being you know pigeonholed in a bad fit. So I think um, 
he regressed maybe a little bit last year because teams were targeting him more. He was the surefire number one corner. But with his competitive, uh, his ball skills, his speed, just his natural instincts of mm -hmm. playing the position that we've seen since he was 18 in college, I don't know about superstar defensive player of the year, you know, that type, but I think he can be a, a Pro Bowl, a steady Pro Bowl caliber cornerback in the NFL. What do you make of the talent at the other side? Levi Wallace finished the year as the number one. They added Kevin Johnson. Uh, they brought E.J. Gaines back. You've got Taron Johnson as a slot corner. Um, what do you make of the group overall? Yeah, Taron Johnson really surprised me. I wasn't super high on him as a prospect, but Sean McDermott talked about it last year, that, that he was just one of those really aggressive players. Then I talked about it with Edmonds that had those instincts. He was making tackles behind the line on, on, on jet sweeps, on bubble screens last year, was really good in coverage um, until he got hurt. Levi Wallace, I liked him more than where he was drafted. He you know, wasn't picked. I liked him as about a fourth or a fifth round pick coming out of Alabama, similar to uh, Tredavious White. He just got his hands on the football a lot. He was a walk-on mm -hmm. for the Crimson Tide. So to walk onto that program, start, and be the best cornerback on that team with you know tons of NFL players is really impressive to me. Certainly, though, there's a lot of unknown because we only saw Wallace for about six or seven games play yeah. well. Kevin Johnson was a first-round pick out of Wake Forest. But been really injured a lot. EJ Gaines, same thing, had a good year two years ago, mostly a zone corner. Right. Um, so I, there's just, it'll be interesting to see who ultimately becomes that number two. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see kind of a carousel at that number two spot throughout the season. How about the division? The, the Jets, uh, similar timeline, obviously a quarterback, new coach. Um, they, you know, I'll leave the Patriots where they are, unless you want to yeah. tell me the Patriots are in for some kind of dramatic mm, fall. No. No, you're not going to put your name on that? No. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, how do you see the Bills and the Jets? Like, are, the, are the Jets in the same ballpark, or are they further behind? I think they're a little further behind the Bills for a few reasons. One, and it's going to take time for the Bills' offensive line to gel. Like I said, six guys they brought in in free agency – Cody Ford is going to probably start being a, a second-round pick. Mitch Morris is, is the key. He has a concussion right now, but him being on the field, he's one of the best centers in the league. The Jets don't have that offensive line. And Sam Darnold in college and even last year was more poised overall than Josh Allen. But in that last year at USC that led to him being the number three overall pick in the draft, he led the NCAA in turnovers. And a lot of those were when he was under pressure. And it's seemingly with, with Le'Veon Bell, with C.J. Mosley, with all these big-name additions that they brought in, they kind of ignored the offensive line. Ryan Khalil signed there yesterday, good center in his day. He just retired. He's well past his prime. 34 years old. Yeah, so the offensive lines, I think the Bills are a leg up. And Le'Veon Bell is going to be a good player. C.J. Mosley, you know, is kind of being talked about as, as their quarterback of their defense. But like most Alabama players, he's much better against the run than he is in coverage. That huge deal they gave him was way too expensive for someone that's just better on first and second down, seeing that, you know, the league is trending toward being more pass-heavy. They're close because of the quarterbacks, but I think if you look at the depth and the top-end portions of the roster, the Jets' pass rush is pretty much non-existent. Mm -hmm. I mean, Leonard Williams, Quinn Williams inside – on the outside, I can't really name one of their edge rushers at this point. So they're close, but I think the Bills are a clear step ahead of them and should, on paper, finish ahead of them in the division. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go here and go uh, go get situated. I know you're going to run down and catch Sean McDermott's news conference or not, but uh, I appreciate you fitting the time in here, man. Definitely. Thanks and for nice having me. Nice to meet you in person. Yeah, absolutely. All those times on you the phone. too. 
All right, that was Chris Chapasso of CBS NFL. He is an NFL analyst and NFL draft joining Bulldog on Mike Schoep and the Bulldog earlier today. This is Louis DiBiase with you here on the Nightcap in for my brother Joe DiBiase. We will be back. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to get into some things to watch. I'm watching for specifically for the Buffalo Bills during this four-week preseason, and then we'll take your calls as well if you want to call in and Talk about what you want to see with the Bills, 803-0550. And then also, my late night discussion yesterday, what is the best NFL game day theme song? We'll discuss that as well. This is the Nightcap. Lou DiBiase, TJ Luckman on the board on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.